Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. I'm Tom Askell. Thank you all for tuning in here to our podcast. What number is this? I don't know. 30? 30 30 zero. We ought to have a celebration. 30 something. We should have a party. This Our podcast will soon be older than you. Yeah, it's like one third your age. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, um, to everybody that's listening out there, we want to tell you about a couple things that are coming up in the life of Founders Ministries. Just give you a heads up. we got a conference coming up, a national conference in Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, Kentucky. May 14th through the 16th. 2019. 2019. Where's it going to be in Louisville, Kentucky? It's going to be at the Sealbach Hotel, a historic Hotel in downtown Louisville. What's so historic about the Seelbach? I don't know, but, but it is that's what people that's what say. say. It's, it's a big deal. Line. It's a big deal. I think it was in the Great Gatsby or something, right? Yeah, something you like know, that. You know what the Great Gatsby was? No, I know a little bit. You, you watch know. the history. I'm not Channel. an expert in the in the <laughs> in the uh, Great yeah, Gatsby. Yeah, but anyway, this is going to be a great conference. Uh, the theme of the conference is the gospel and justice. The gospel and justice. Uh, Tom Nettles will be uh, one of our speakers, and he's uh, studied a lot of these issues historically, as many of his uh, acquaintances and former students will know. And we will have uh, you also be speaking at this conference. I think yeah. you're, you're doing something on sexuality. Uh, I'm doing something on complementarianism. Well, that includes both. Yeah, sexes, it's kind of right? in there. It's okay. in the realm. And then you're going to be speaking as well. All, all of Possibly. these. No, Tom Askell, Dr. Tom Askell speaking. Uh, and I'm this, holding out for a better contract. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> See how much we can pay. Talk to my people. That's okay, right. You talk to my you people. You got people. I got people. You have your people talk to my people. Um, we think this is an important topic. We've addressed it in different ways. Uh, law and gospel, it makes sense. There's a lot of talk about justice right now, so we're hoping that we can address this very important issue. Also, quickly, uh, we have a Founders Church Partner Program that we welcome you to check out at founders.org. Click the Give button. You can figure out what it means to partner with us at Founders Ministries and support us as a church. There's different options, $100 and $500 a month. So you pick that option, and as a result, we want to give either the pastor of the church or the entire church uh, full access to the Founders Study Center. we got a ton of courses up there. It's seminary-level theological education, and uh, we're excited about this opportunity. So go check that out at founders.org. Yeah, and that's a, a great reminder, Jared, that Founders Ministries has been able to do what it's done over the years because people and churches have supported us financially. This, you know, You're a full-time pastor. I'm a full-time pastor. Uh, the things that we have done beyond our local church ministry here has been in the service of local churches. And so we're grateful for those churches and individuals through the years who have supported us. And we haven't talked about that enough. Uh, we praise God for everyone who's partnered with us. And we need more partners today with the challenges that we are facing and the way we're trying to engage those challenges. So go to founders.org, look at that. If you have questions, man, give us a call, shoot us an email or something. We'd be glad to talk to you about ways that um, supporting founders can benefit your congregation and other congregations as well. Very good. Hey, in our first segment here, we want to talk a little bit about counseling. Um, should we be involved in counseling, Tom? 
Well, yes, we should. We must. We cannot avoid being involved in it because when we talk about Christ and we talk to people and we talk about real life, uh, we're either doing them good or we're not doing them Mm -hmm. good. And counseling seeks to do people good in talking about the realities of life from a perspective that the Bible gives to us. In fact, it's in Romans 15, I think it is, um, maybe verse 14. Here it is. Paul says, I am satisfied about you my brothers that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another Mm. so paul says that not just to elders or deacons or those that have special gifts he says that to the whole congregation you're competent to counsel jay adams made this famous in his what he called newthetic counseling based upon the greek word there competent to counsel and the the bible sets it before us so yes we are to admonish one another we're to encourage one another uh, we're to do this daily yeah it seems to me more than ever i'm i'm um noticing a the the drift that has occurred i guess for many years and still seems to be present kind of like the the triumph of the therapeutic right that much of our counseling has has um has tried to deal with the emotions and the soul and it ought to do so by all means but it's but it seems to have gotten untethered from truth now i know there was the whole newthetic hard newthetic mm-hmm. movement that existed and then there's been some course corrections to that and right course corrections to deal with the soul deal with the mind and the heart but you know as you quote that text you're competent to instruct others Mm -hmm. Uh, my wife and i were talking about titus 2 have the older women teach the younger women how to love their husbands how to care for their homes all these it it, it seems to be very doctrinal it's it's uh, it's It's content oriented god has revealed uh, what we are to think what we are to believe how we are to live and there is a uh, transfer of that truth from believer to believer. And that, that strikes me as something that, um, especially among the younger generation, is, is downplayed. You know, yeah. I want counsel, but it's more about, you know, something that's tailored to me. Listen to me. Nothing really prescriptive. Like, don't give me too many things that are prescriptive. You know, mm-hmm. understand to each their own kind of mentality, but still trying to save a little bit of the idea of counseling. But I think we're drifting in a dangerous direction there. Yeah, we must distinguish what the Bible means by this uh, competent to admonish one another or do so, admonish each other daily, from the therapeutic mindset of our day, which is built upon uh, unbelieving ideals of uh, Freudianism or Jungianism or other approaches where we basically uh, approach people with a viewpoint of you have it within you what you need. So we just need to help you discover it, bring it out. Mm-hmm. And it, it's very non-directive. It is um, all about trying to help people feel good. And very often what happens in the secular approaches to this or godless approaches to this is that you look at the way a person feels and you try if where their feelings are detrimental to them maybe they're feeling guilt what you try to do is assuage their sense of guilt you shouldn't feel guilty no man you're good look at all the good things you do tell us that story about one time the guy came in your office <laughs> i was young and and uh not nearly as sensitive as i am today you're young and courageous i was young and unwise in many ways but i was doing i had i took a counseling course at southwestern seminary which was not very good uh, I think the professor is no longer in the land that we occupied. I think he's gone to be with the Lord, uh-huh. so I can say this. But the counseling course, we had to uh, write up these these counseling summaries of actual cases we were doing in local churches. Well, I was serving as assistant pastor at a church in Dallas, 
and a, a single adult. I'd done a, a, a little study, a weekend study for single adults on um, communication, intimacy, respect, and you know, not defrauding each other. Mm-hmm. And so uh, on the Friday night after the session, Friday night, uh, this guy comes in, came in Sunday, but he said after Friday night that he was so impressed with what I'd said that he went and you know talked to a girl uh, late into the night and, and started accusing her of not being open and intimate with him, and they wound up having sex. And so he was, not his wife. No, not his wife. So he comes to me Sunday, you know, and he says, "Man, I just I feel really bad. You know, I feel I feel so guilty. See, I, you know, I just I feel horrible that I did that. I should not have done that. I just I feel really bad. Now, can, can you help me? Because I just can't get over these feelings of guilt, and I don't know why. I don't know why. I said, here's the reason why. It's because you're guilty. <laughs> because you broke God's commandment. You committed fornication." You have uh, abused this woman. Yeah, I mean, I just went down the line, came down on him pretty hard, and uh, he didn't feel any better uh, from that conversation. But God helped him. He repented and, and, you know, received God's forgiveness. But I had to write that up. Mm. So I wrote it up and uh, turned it in. My professor bled all over it. I got, I think, like a C minus or something on that. And he said, how, how dare you say this? He said, at this point, you should have said, bless your heart. This really got away from you, oh, didn't it? No. He did. He did. Oh, no. I wanted to throw up. But uh, anyway, I didn't do well in the class, but I do think I maybe in a ham-fisted way honored God's word. So so the, the point is, um, you're not just there to um, deal with this person's emotions in a way that's untethered from truth you certainly want that man's uh guilt to be dealt with and you want him to experience peace and well-being but he's got to do that through the blood of christ absolutely and he's got to deal with that honestly so you say okay here he is i feel guilty why do i feel so guilty well you feel guilty because you are guilty that's right (laughs) what you've done in trying to counsel him toward the cross trust repent yeah then see there's there's hope for people who are sinful because we have a savior from sin but if you tell somebody, oh, man, well, it's just because of the way you were raised or you've got these feelings, you know, that because of your personality type or whatever. And, and there may be elements and grains of insight that can be gleaned from that. I'm not dismissing all that. But if you don't get to the root problem, you don't get to the real issue that there is a God in heaven who has told you how to live. And when you disobey him, you go against him, then you are living contrary to the way he's designed you to live. And your problems all stem from your relationship with God. And there's an answer for that. There's help for that because Jesus came into the world to reconcile you to God. If you don't get people there, you'll never help them. You can put Band-Aids on their problems. That's why I've said for many, many years that uh, all my counseling can be reduced to one statement, be a real Christian and act like it. Mm. So if you're talking to somebody in counseling who's not a Christian, then you can tell them how to communicate better with their wife. You can give them tips for success in business. But if you don't get them right with God, you don't help them to see you need to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, be reconciled to God, then all you've done is help them on their way to hell with better communication techniques. Mm. So if they're not a Christian, be a real Christian. If they are a Christian, then act like it. You know, Live according to what God said Christians ought to do. Yeah. In the New Testament, we hear correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So... You know, one of the things I think is good to get going in a family, good to get going in your relationships as a Christian, good to get going in the church is just a healthy sense of humility. Saying, okay, hey, around here, we all know that uh, we're in Christ. We're forgiven our sins. We are sons and daughters of God, and we are not yet all that he would have us be. So 
let's let's say yes we welcome correction we welcome correction yeah. from the wor- the word i'm not going to be shocked if somebody comes to me and says hey you know you did this or you said this and and this is what scripture says about it i want to create uh, an environment in which we're doing that kind of thing it's so easy to drift from this and all of a sudden in your church or in your family no one's ever correcting anyone right. like everyone knows stuff's out of place but no one's doing that of course on the other hand you have this kind of you have this arrogant um law ignoring way that everybody's picking on everybody's little tiny right. offenses right and and it's just suffocating and you so you go to the other extreme well my goodness we're never we're never going to talk about anything so wisdom uh, if you're going to correct rebuke and encourage with great great patience and careful instruction you've got to know the word of god you've got to be able to see when you're counseling what is really out of joint you're mm-hmm. like a healthy like a good doctor you come and you say okay there's a number of things that we might uh, could address what's the most important what's something that i can help this brother or sister see that really is out of alignment with God's word in a way that I can address it. And by the power of the spirit, uh, that person can see it and, and turn from it and get on a better path. You know, one way that I've tried to do this in counseling is by meeting with somebody and as they're talking, whatever they're talking about, if it's in a, if it's something going on with their heart, if they're saying there's pride or there's anxiety, um, say it's anxiety, we'll deal with a text that says, here, here's the text that says, don't be anxious about about anything, right? So how are you reconciling your anxiety mm-hmm. with that text? Just showing that there's a word here that is a corrective. And depending on what the person says, and maybe they've they already know that they're commanded not right. to be anxious. Right. Well then what do they need? They need the promises of God that goes right before that text in Philippians. The the Lord is at hand. He's with you. And so let's talk about what that promise is and let that that truth uh, that God has revealed work its way in your mind, heart, and and help you with your anxiety. Yeah, you know, Jared, there's two things that come to mind that I would like for us to talk about before we wrap this up. One is creating a culture, a climate in your home, in a church that gives and receives correction in redemptive ways. Mm. So you invite it as a follower of Christ and you, you make your life open, you say to people, look, man, help me. I want to get to heaven. I want to live for Jesus. And so you can help me if you show me things that I'm doing, ways I'm thinking that are out of step with that or things I could do better where we, we have that confidence in Jesus. We have that desire that we really welcome it. We invite it and train helping people to see it that way and to think and act that way. And then also teaching folks and learning how ourselves to give correction redemptively. So you're not just pointing out sin. You're not just condemning. When folks see you coming, they don't think, oh, no. You know, or you say, hey, can we go get coffee? They don't, oh, no, what oh, am I doing wrong boy. this time, you know? Yeah. But they, they understand that you're really for them. And that's a that takes a lot of work, and it takes um, it doesn't happen accidentally in a church to create a culture mm-hmm. like that. One of the things that, that I think can be helpful, and we got a long way to go here in, in Grace, but, uh, but I think God's helped us to some degree, is for the leaders to model that, mm-hmm. for the leaders to invite correction. And when they are corrected, not to fall apart or become defensive about it, but mm-hmm. to say, well, praise God. Uh, yeah, it, where sin is involved, okay, you know, well, we repent because we have a Savior. To try to make a low threshold for repentance so you don't have to think, oh, no, it's got to be something huge, and i got to climb a ladder and jump off of it to show real repentance. No, we just we know we have sin that remains. We know we're liable and prone to sin, and so we should be quick to repent and welcoming those who can help us see sin. So that's a big deal. I mean, how do you do that in your home? Well, just saying it, just saying, hey, if there's, to my wife, if 
I need your help. I know that I have blind spots. So just coming back to it and saying, if there's things that you see in me that are significant, let me know. And we have conversations about uh, that balance of um, let's not go around nitpicking each other <laughs> right. all the time. Right? right. But if you see something serious, no, uh, I want you to bring it up to me and just having conversations and, uh, and also creating a, uh, I just articulating this to, um, to my wife, I, my, my kids are young, so we talk about this in some ways. We've apologized to them, get down right. there and tell them right. sorry when we know that we've done something that's wrong. Um, but having a home where we say, this is going to be something that comes up. We're not going to wait till there's a massive problem that we've been sweeping under the rug for the past four years right. and then have an explosive fight about it. No, we're just going to have this, this way of dealing with what comes up, making sure that we're dealing with it according to the truth. So yeah. not not based on our emotions. If I say, I feel, I feel, I feel, well, you got to watch it. Well, you want to deal honestly with your feelings, but your feelings aren't an argument. Right. They're not, they're not proof in the courtroom of, of repentance and faith and counseling each other. So we got to say, let's go back to the word of God. Do it. Am I, am I right in thinking, mm. thinking this mm-hmm. way? Or am I right in feeling this way? Yeah. I remember several years ago, our church went through a real difficult time and, and a lot of people got hurt. Uh, there's a lot of, um, things that were happening that we didn't understand for months until they came out. And as the elders led through that, you know, we did the best we could. But in the wake of it, as we evaluated, we discovered uh, several things that we should have done differently, things that that we did not do uh, that we should have done, and some things we did that we wish we hadn't done. And so we wrote those up. We had in our next members meeting, I think we were 12 things or areas where we acknowledged. Some of it was sin, and we repented and asked for forgiveness. Some of it was just a confession, admission. Uh, we were not wise here. Uh, we wish we had seen things differently. And God used that in the congregation's life to uh, shore up some relationships that had been wounded uh, during those tumultuous months that we went through. So I think that can be a good policy as well. The second thing I just quickly want to touch on is relationship of counseling to preaching. You can read Martin Lord Jones' book, uh, Preaching and Preachers, and he uh, he talks about— hold on. Second thing I want to talk about is the relationship of counseling to preaching. You can read Martin Lloyd-Jones' book, Preaching and Preachers, where he goes off on counseling. And if you're not careful, you can come away from that saying, well, pastors should never counsel. And that's not what Lloyd-Jones says. Reading carefully, he says he does acknowledge the importance of doing that kind of personal work or counseling work. But that good preaching will do that from the pulpit. If you're preaching in an applicatory way, if you're preaching looking at the specific cases that this text addresses in the lives of your people, that you will do a bunch of counseling from the pulpit. But he also says you will provoke opportunities for further personal work because people will see you as a man who is sensitive, who does understand, who has wisdom from the word, knows how to apply it. So good preaching should have that element in it. It's not therapeutic of telling people how to feel good, but is showing them this is what the Bible says and this is how it applies to real life. In part two of our podcast, we like to talk about a book that's been impactful for us. And today we were talking about the book called Between Two Worlds. This is written by John Stott, the subtitle, The Challenge of Preaching Today. Stott does a great job in uh, spelling out the preaching of the word in this book. Tom, anything particular that struck you? Yeah, this is a classic book. And of course, just the title itself, you know, he describes that we've got to be a man of the book and we've got to be a man of this world. And many 
of us, I include myself in this, can tend toward one or the other. You know, we love the books. We love the world of Galilee and Palestine and first century and the uh, Old Testament era. But when it comes to 21st century America, we kind of, you know, not so willing to engage. Other people are very modern, very thoughtful about what's going on today. They understand trends. They know how to communicate in language that is current today, but they're thin on the Bible. And what a pastor's called to do is to be a man of both worlds. So that's what uh, Stott's main point is. He deals with the, the big issues and challenges that face preaching, and it's the same today as when he wrote the book or published it in 1982. We have an anti-authority age mm-hmm. today. It's one of the main points that he makes about uh, what what challenges we face in preaching. And the Bible is an authoritative book, and preaching is an authoritative act. And so I think Stott would have much to say about some of the modern trends in pe- preaching that uh, are more like a fireside chat than mm-hmm. a man of God filled with the Spirit of God, handling the Word of God, saying, thus says God. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember reading this, I think, while I was in seminary, and I would commend this book especially to young men who are just entering in to be pastors or training to be in the ministry. He's got a great chapter on preparing a sermon, and this was like, I remember being totally lost. You know, here I am young, I'm thinking, you're supposed to preach, and it was like somebody asking me to build a car for the first time, (laughs) and I had never even held a wrench, you know. I was like, where do I begin? Well, this chapter really helped me. Uh, He walks through a number of practical points in preparing a sermon, like choose your text, meditate on it. He says, read it, reread it think upon the text ask questions of the text what does it mean what did the author intend or affirm uh, when you're doing this combine diligent study of the text with fervent prayer so just walk through it here you go i've got a text i'm praying now i'm meditating on it isolate the dominant thought of the text um, every text should have this main theme a main thrust as you are proclaiming the word from that point he says arrange your material to serve your dominant thoughts. So what are your sub-points going to be? What are the ideas underneath the main one going to be in this particular sermon? He talks about illustration. Uh, He talks about introduction and conclusion, and then writing down your sermon, editing it, praying it, preaching it. So uh, that's certainly not um, a model that has to be followed to a T. Every guy has kind of his own style in the development of the sermon. But if you are thinking, hey, where do I begin? That's a good chapter and a good book. Yeah, we highly recommend this book. Well, we've come to the third section of our podcast where we are dealing with various commands that we find in Scripture. Uh, How shall we live? We shall live according to God's Word, and we want to go through the Word and just identify different instructions that he has given us. So today, we find in John chapter 3 and verse 7, Jesus says, you must be born again. This is something that we're obligated to do. Is that right, Tom? Yeah, but I thought we were going to be talking about commands. Yeah, we are. Okay. This is not an imperative. Is it a command? It's an obligation. It's an obligation. It's a stated obligation. It's a stated obligation. And who 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 delivered that obligation to us? Jesus did. Who's obligated to do it? 
uh, everyone. All right, so Jesus told everyone to do this. No, Jesus told everyone this must be done. There's a difference. All right, tell us about it. Unspool this thing, (laughs) baby. Let's go. (laughs) So it is an important point, I think, because uh, the way Jesus makes this statement is in the the Greek language, it is an aorist, passive, infinitive, infinitive verb. So he's not giving us uh, the uh, uh, imperative verb. It's not shut the door. Not active. It's the door must be shut. And so it is a statement of what must happen. And this is an important point because uh, Billy Graham wrote a book, How to Be Born Again, Mm. uh, telling people, here's what you do to become born again. Now, I, I understand. I read the book and was helped at some points by the book when I was young. But that idea... You know, here's the steps. Yeah, here's what you do to become born again. You do this because you're commanded to do this. Well, we are obligated for this to be done, but we cannot do this, and it is not something we do. So Adam could not have fulfilled this. Adam, in his unfallen human nature, could not have fulfilled this. Uh, Adam could fulfill having faith that connects him to the living God. So the command to repent and believe the gospel is a direct command that everyone's obligated to obey. This is an obligation that stated that says this must happen. You the, you must experience this, and yet it is completely out of our hands. Now, as he goes on to say in verse eight, the wind blows where it wills. You hear the sound of it, you see the effects of it, but you you can't control it. Nobody knows exactly how the wind works. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So this puts us in the realm of the mysterious. We're talking about that which we cannot fully comprehend. That's mm-hmm. the whole point of verse 8 of John 3. And this is the work of the Spirit. So the Spirit is the one who gives new birth. The yeah. Spirit regenerates. So you are obligated to have this happen Absolutely. to you. Absolutely. It is necessary. Which, which is the um, really gets down to much of what's operating in our Calvinism yeah. is I remember <laughs> dealing with these things going, oh my goodness, when you start to see that um, we are obligated to either do, or as you're articulating here, we're obligated to have done to us that uh, that which we're not morally able to do. Uh, mm-hmm. Can these dry bones live? That's and right. they must live. And um, this, is, this is something that we agree with because it's revealed in the Word of God. Uh, some of these things, they're not irrational, but many of them are supra-rational. Right. They're That's above right. our reason, but we're Bible-believing people, and so we say, okay, uh, here it is. Uh, I, I've drawn upon the old hymn, um, Do Not Pass Me By. You remember that, that pass hymn, me Savior? By, pass, pa- me, uh, pass Me Not, not a Gentle, gentle Savior. Savior. There it is, yeah. Hear my humble cry. Yeah. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. I love that I was singing that in my little Baptist church mm-hmm. when I was a little tiny kid. Nobody in there was reformed at all. <laughs> but yet we're crying out to the Spirit that he wouldn't pass us by, that he would give new life. Yeah. You know? And um, so there's something wonderful when you see this. Yes, I, either I am obligated to do or I'm obligated to have done to me this thing that I cannot do in yeah. and of myself. And um, we sing the hymn, Lord with Glowing Heart, I'd Praise Thee, uh, written by Francis Scott Key, mm-hmm. man who wrote the Star-Spangled Banner. If you like the Star-Spangled Banner, uh, Lord with Glowing Heart, I'd Praise Thee is even better, uh, much better. Should we sing that at football games? So, yeah, we t- <laughs> that, that's kind of my whole, that would be wonderful. Hey, now that we've done this, that's Francis right. Scott Key, Absolutely. let's sing Lord with Glowing Heart, I'd Praise Thee. But anyways, in, in that hymn, he says, you know, I... I 
I would worship you, mm-hmm. I'm summarizing, I would worship you, but you must light the flame, yeah. God. You must come and warm my heart to praise your name. Yeah, so this, the, the new birth is the sine qua non, is that without which there is no eternal life. You cannot enter the kingdom, you cannot see the kingdom apart from this. So what must we do? Well, as you referred to the dry bones, we must preach, we must prophesy to the dry bones, we must say to people, repent and believe the gospel, and we must pray. Because mm-hmm. apart from the work of the Spirit, it's not going to happen. That's right. And the Spirit is the one who alone gives new birth. And the Spirit flies tandem with the Word. Absolutely. So where the Spirit is doing this work of regeneration, uh, He is doing that in conjunction with the Word of God. And yeah. therefore, we ought to go and take the gospel and proclaim it, yes. open up the Scriptures and declare it, and entrust ourselves to the Spirit who gives life. Amen. You have been listening to the Sword and the Trowel podcast with Jared Longshore and Tom Askell. This podcast is produced by Founders Ministries. For more information, visit www.founders.org. To hear more from the Sword and the Trowel, you can follow Founders on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or by subscribing to our email list at www.founders.org. Founders.